I would explain teaching artistry as a teacher who is a specialist in a certain arts area and collaborative and examining students and their creative expression in a nuanced way and also having the professional experience of an artist in whatever city they happen to be in. You're listening to The Teaching Artist, a podcast made for teaching artists by teaching artists. I'm Jacqueline Raymond. And I'm Chris Giordano. Today's audio blog is about discovering teaching artistry. We hear from four teaching artists on their definition of the profession, how they discovered the field, and how to find work as a teaching artist in New York City. I'm still looking. Are you still looking for work? Always looking for work. Every day of my life. Hustle. Incidental music for this audio blog entry is titled, I Have a Voice, sung and composed by teaching artist Gary DiVirgilio. Stay tuned. I have a voice. My voice is powerful. I have a voice. And my voice can change the world. I have a voice. My voice is powerful. I have a voice. And my voice can change the world. Our first three guests were asked how they would describe teaching artistry. Interestingly, each teaching artist had their own unique perspective as to what they do. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Leonard. My artistry is writing, and I've been a teaching artist for eight years now. Um, I usually tell people, since I have to answer the question anytime I say it, is that we are professional artists, and we are sent into public schools in New York City to teach our art form. So, for instance, mine is writing, and I generally teach poetry and other forms of creative writing. Hi, Maura Teal-King. I am a poet and creative writing teacher. I've been teaching 10 years. A teaching artist takes their art, whatever that might be, and for me, that's being a poet and a writer, and brings it into the classroom to shake it up a little bit and to teach the kids that they can be artists too. My name is Gary DiVirgilio. I'm a multidisciplinary artist um, and I've been teaching art in various forms for three years now. We're artists who take our craft and we try to try to uh, expand uh, young minds, you know. We, we Well, the way I think of it as a teaching artist, we're passing it on. Uh, this, whatever gifts we have, whatever talents we have, we sort of hone our craft in order to uh, relay it to, to younger generations and hopefully pass it on. What I mean is the spark of interest and learning and excitement about being alive. Because there is this like, there's an energy among artists and, and like throughout time and space and now and then, like we, there's this relationship and community of artists. And so I feel like there's a responsibility in a sense to, to continue to pass it on. Like I have it too, it's, it's in there flowing through me. So yeah, so as teaching artists, we're passing it on, I think. These artists had many different pathways into the field of teaching artistry. From full-time classroom teacher to working performers to 
stay-at-home parents. Hi, my name is Megan McPhee. I'm a teaching artist in music, dance, drama, musical theater, improv, and I've been teaching for five years. As many teaching artists, I started as a performer, and I did regional theater and national tours, and then in my mid-20s, I was really feeling like I wanted more stability, and I wanted to grow my skill set uh, outside of of performing and working random side jobs that didn't have to do with the arts. So then I applied for a teaching artist position and it really just grew from there. I was, I'm still performing at the same time as teaching, but I really found a new passion for teaching. I was helping my daughter look for an internship and I went on to idealist.org. Idealist.org is a website that specializes in internships and jobs with not-for-profit. And I realized that I shouldn't be a helicopter parent, and so I quickly grew bored with doing what my daughter should do for herself. So I went on idealist.org and I typed in poet, and then I typed in writer. I just looked at what came up and I saw this job and it looked like my dream job. And it was artists and writers that are matched with each other. And as a partner, you go to a school and you create a custom, interactive, interdisciplinary literary program for students. And I thought, that's what I do. That's what I want to do. So. I've been working with kids in different capacities for about 15 years or so, um, just through different community-based organizations. And I always wanted to teach writing specifically. So I got into teaching ELA for a high school and sort of thought that that would be like a segue into teaching just creative writing. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really, but <laughs> I happened to meet a teaching artist at the high school who um, worked for Community Word Project, actually. Um, so I learned about Community Word Project in 2008. Or, uh, yeah, and she was a writer. So I, I had learned, I had known about teaching artist organizations before that through other work. Um, but I had only heard about teaching artist organizations that focused on like dance or theater. So I didn't know that I could like teach poetry. Um, so when I learned about Community Word Project, I was like, oh, that's where it's at. That's like what I want to be doing. And so yeah, I, <clears throat> I got out of full-time teaching and I worked for other places. And then I decided that I would just want to teach poetry and creative writing. So I started working for organizations where I could do that. And then I did my master's. And when I came back from doing my master's, I was just looking for the teaching artist work. I was I was a stagehand for a long time and always an artist. And then I had like a, a bad accident that made it so that I couldn't uh, I couldn't be a stagehand any longer. And while I was in recovery after my surgeries, I uh, I joined a program uh, called TATIP, which is now called TAP, uh, the Teaching Artist Project, a Community Word Project. Something my roommate tells me is I I've always had this mentality that a job is just a job. And it's just something you do for money. And my roommate has pointed out to me that when I come home from teaching, I'm, I'm elated and utterly happy. And uh, it's almost as if he's he's like, you can't you can't understand what it is to love. It's like you can't love your job, basically. He's like, there's something in me that 
I can't even, there's some part of me that makes it hard to, to realize this is a job and like, because I love it. The world, many people, many songs, many hands that belong to the world, to the sun, to the sea. Look inside, you are amazing, empathetic, understanding. The important thing is living, just be. Megan shares her challenges she faced when she first started teaching, from getting the kids' attention to commanding a room to trying to control her energy in a productive way. When I first started out, I had like a very high energy, somewhat frantic energy, and my behavioral management techniques weren't as strong as they are now. Now, I think also just being an older person, I'm more grounded in myself, but also as a teaching artist, I feel like I bring a little more zen to my, my classroom, and I take control of the classroom more because that just came with experience. I think that the energy I had as a first year teaching artist, it was really fun and kids were totally down for how much energy I was bringing in the room. Um, but I don't know if it necessarily, I was burnt out by the end of the class. I was really exhausted because I was putting so much energy out there and not conserving it. So I think that the kids would call my energy fun, but maybe a little bit too fast paced. Um, I They kept up, but I don't know if it was the best for, for learning purposes. <laughs> I think that my frantic energy might have been, I don't know how to control this many children at once because you're walking in and you're one person, but you're, you have 15 energies to deal with and ages and the age range was large. It was from six to 10. So you have six year olds, which are a completely different ability than a 10 year old. And you want to challenge the 10 year old, but you also want to make sure the six year old is, is being taken care of. So I think that hit me my first year and I just didn't know what to do with that and um and little by little I learned how to navigate that you have a voice your voice is powerful you have a voice said your voice can change the world these artists believe flexibility and inclusivity are main ingredients of teaching artistry Mora and Gary reflect on how, as teaching artists, they may use their skills differently than classroom teachers. One of the specialties of a lot of the teaching artists that I've met is that they're very flexible and they can improvise in the classroom in a way that the regular teacher might not have the flexibility to do that. It might have to do with the arts that they're coming from and that art itself is about using your imagination and your creativity and applying it to the problems at hand. You're, you're often finding a problem and creating a solution to address it. It's fun, it's hard work, but we're there to facilitate learning, learning art. I mean, to me, it was the only thing that ever really mattered was, was learning the arts or practicing the arts, or the only thing that really inspired me to continue learning. I think that what separates maybe teaching artists is technique of teaching. And so we've learned this kind of way to approach multiple intelligences mm -hmm. while when we develop our lesson plans, when we develop our curriculums. Um, we're thinking about trying to reach everybody visually, uh, through words, you know, whatever will inspire or grab. And we try to, you know, so I think the technique 
is what separates us probably. Both Maura and Gary describe a moment of success as a teaching artist while working in the classroom. Well, it's interesting given the experience at PES 171 here in Queens where a teacher came up to me in the middle of a lesson when we were reading a book about learning to get along with people who are very different from you. And the book is called Zen Ties by John Muth. And she said, I'm having a problem in our class. And one of the kids is being ostracized by some of the other students because she's a little bit different. And she said, how can I teach empathy to our students? And I wow. said, listen to the story that we're reading because we're trying to address it with the story. And then the next class, we came in with a partner exercise about empathy and how to make friends with a stranger. And we called it Finding Common Ground. We would work on emotional choices. So their emotional intelligence as seven-year-olds, seven and eight-year-olds, uh, was amazing. So they would make an emotional choice, a specific idea. And then, you know, words came into it because the, the more specific you can be when choosing an emotion, the more specific it'll, it'll appear when you're being that emotion. And I still, even thinking about it right now, I'm totally excited that, that these children will go on and, and they have uh, a stronger emotional intelligence and they understand how to make a choice and be that choice. But that's, that's personally fulfilling in the sense that there it is, like they're, the understanding, the knowledge. That's, you know, I wish if I could have learned that when I was that age, I probably would have started acting much earlier. I didn't start acting until I was in high school. But uh, yeah, there is nothing like that. And then one time, I was working with um, an autistic child who was nonverbal, and I was working in the visual arts with, with her. And um, there was this moment where she had drawn this amazing picture. It had depth of field, and there was a story where I could see what was happening. She had drawn like a little road, and the road led to like the forefront of the picture, and it was a, ho a home. And she showed like people much further in the distance and then at the home, like larger with the home. So I could see it was, I was like, oh, is this your family? She, yes. You know, she, well, without words, she just looked at me and, you know, mm -hmm, acknowledged it. And uh, I was like, oh, and have you, are you coming from the grocery store? And she's like, yes, you know, with her nod and whatever. And I was like, oh, and you are all coming home and maybe for dinner, it's the end of the day or something. And she, she was really excited that I could understand the story. And I was like, you know, you're a really great artist. And she had this moment like of realization and excitement. And I could see like, I wanted to cry because I saw it was the first moment she realized she had this talent and that she could communicate How through it. How we understand each other if we close our eyes and cover up our ears to those systematically silenced? Here's the truth. We're all family. But if you're new to the field, finding teaching artist opportunities can be challenging. We asked our guests their thoughts on how to find such work. Being a 21st century teaching artist, I, I would go online <laughs> and I would start searching for groups. I didn't realize this. 
but there are many different organizations that send teaching artists out into the classroom, into libraries, into community programs, and they will match your talents with the needs of a school, and several of them also have training programs. Lincoln Center has a program, uh, Brooklyn Arts Council has a program, there, there are many uh, independent arts organizations in New York City that have training programs, and if you're if you do very well in the training program, they will likely hire you. Yeah, there's definitely help with network, especially because teaching artists' world is kind of so small still that you know it's sort of like we're all a family and we <laughs> we know where everybody else is working. Yeah, and I think looking at like the. Uh, the Brooklyn Arts Council, um, New York Foundation of Artists, mm -hmm. like those sorts of organizations list organizations <clears throat> like Community Word Project or um, DreamYard or Wingspan or all those other teaching artist organizations, they make connections with those. Mm -hmm. So I think starting to look for arts organizations is really helpful and maybe starting to work with students in other capacities, um, like through after-school programs, so that you begin to learn on your feet what classroom management looks like and what, um, how to create a lesson plan, because you could be a fantastic artist and have no idea how to like teach it, especially to younger children who aren't gonna understand what it mean, what you mean when you say, uh, you're going to paint this subject or, um, you know, use this literary device and they have no access to that kind of vocabulary. Mm -hmm. You have to learn how to um, break those things down. Another fantastic resource which has provided me with teaching artists opportunities is the Roundtables Job Fair. Elizabeth also agrees. One thing that helped me was that I found, I found out about the the teaching artist job fair that Community Word Project does through its training program. Um, and I think because I had applied for a couple of different things in the teaching artist world before I went to go do my master's, I was sort of still on, on news lists. Mm -hmm. um, so that helped. Um, but I think looking specifically at arts organizations and then finding out you know, if they're doing teaching work. Megan offers advice. When choosing to work with an organization, their core values should line up with your own. I would say be curious about what discipline you want, you want to teach, why you want to teach, what you want to instill in your students, and then look for organizations that are in alignment with that. I think that I was really lucky and I just found community-based organizations that are really in alignment with my beliefs of fostering the whole child and collaboration and, and working together as a team and a cast rather than like some sort of like competitive, you know, theater program that sometimes I think can be good, but sometimes can be damaging to the, you know, self-esteem or the artistry. So I would say really like seek out organizations that are in alignment with your values. Special thanks to Megan McPhee, Maura Telking, Gary DiVirgilio, and Elizabeth Leonard for sharing their stories. 
Incidental music for this episode is titled I Have a Voice, sung and composed by teaching artist Carrie DiVirgilio. This episode was produced by me, Chris Giordano. And me, Jacqueline Raymond. Bye for now. Bye.